Welcome to Public Cloud for Public Good, a podcast talking about cloud sustainability and how we can use public cloud services to make the world a better place. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm joined by Kate Hargrove and Michael Fox from Onyx, who are a cloud consultancy company and networking organization. Today, we're focusing a lot on kind of how to architect in the cloud sustainably and kind of how we can look at those things together. So do you want to kind of maybe introduce yourselves a little bit more? Let's start with Kate. All right. Yeah, I'm Kate Hargrove. I'm a senior cloud solution architect at Onyx. I did spend three years at AWS before hopping over to Onyx um, on the partner side. And now I've got to expand my skill set to not only AWS, but Google Cloud. And that's been really cool to see. And my specialties are data and analytics, but my passion is the sustainability and more specifically how to architect for that, because that puts it in our hands where we can make changes. Anyways, more on that later. That's great. Yeah, more on that later. Go on, Michael. Yes, uh, pretty much the same as Kate. Um, I'm Michael Fox. I'm a Onyx cloud architect as well. I spent three years just like Kate did at AWS prior to coming to Onyx. I'm based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and Kate and I both enjoy doing sustainability talks and, and talking to people about how to architect more sustainably. Yeah, I mean, that architecting for sustainability concept is, is something that's relatively new when it comes to, you know, thinking about the cloud. I mean, at least for some cloud providers, let's say, you know, you look at the things like the well-architected frameworks uh, and, and the different pillars, like for most of the cloud providers, we've always had security as, as job zero, day one. That's always been almost like the forefront of, of how we use cloud. And I think some of that drives from kind of some of the procurement issues or at least how you start using the cloud, especially for enterprises. We want to make sure it's secure. Therefore, you know, Amazon and, and the other cloud providers were saying, yes, well, here's the security information. And I think it's definitely changing now where a lot more customers, a lot more enterprises are saying, we want to make sure it's sustainable. So, you know, how have you found the kind of emergence of that and, and, and changing your thoughts around sustainability since moving to these new roles, I guess? Yeah, well, while... This has always been an interest for like Michael and I and, you know, people that, you know, are uh, super pro earth and, you know, granola, I think is the word here in the States. But companies now are starting to be interested in it because as businesses, you need to follow where your customers' interests are. And more and more customers are making their purchasing decisions and investing decisions based on what they care about. And... I'm really excited to see how this generation has really taken it upon themselves to sort of give back and make it better for the next generation. And businesses are, you get what I'm saying, Michael, if you want to add on to that ramble of mine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So not only is it, you know, becoming more and more prevalent that we look at how we can save resources, you know, not only in the cloud, but everywhere. People are starting to realize that, you know, climate change is here. We need to change it. And for people like myself and Kate, part of our job expels a lot of energy. Computing um, and technology in general um, make up, I want to say, like 20% of the load on the electrical grid. So being able to talk to people about you know, FinOps and how reducing some of your compute and reducing different storage um, can help you actually save money is starting to catch on. It really is, isn't it? I mean, I think, yeah, for me last year, it was only kind of like reInvent where I was thinking about cloud computing. It was something I'd worked in, AWS specifically, you know, I'd looked after thirty-three million pounds worth of spend every year on on AWS for, for the client that I was working for at the time, and it, it was at that conference where I was publishing a lot more information. It was you know several months later where the carbon footprint calculator came out, and it was almost like, oh wow, actually, this is you know more than we realize. Like the internet is is a is a real thing. We may not be able to physically touch it. We may not be able to see the waste when we upload things or, or when stuff's stored forever, but it is the same as almost like, you know, burning paper or, or throwing plastic in the ocean. You know, we're having an impact on the world when we consume these services. And it's, it is great to see the conversation start, but I guess I wonder in some ways, yeah, is it enough? I mean, like, where are we up to? Like, what's next? So I think, you know, Amazon, they sort of started this journey today, but Google has always seemed to have been, I guess, a little bit more thoughtful in this area and, and you know, a bit more an exemplar when it comes to, you know, the future of digital kind of have you have you found that with like your conversations with customers and focusing more on Google now rather than AWS? Well, I think with our customers when we talk about sustainability and we talk about, you know, who's leading the pack and 
and who's going the extra distance. Google's been carbon neutral uh, since 2007. Um, and then in, inside their platforms, not only um, in cloud, but if you just go to Google and you want to know if you're going to stay at the Radisson, uh, you know, it tells you if it's eco-friendly, what they do in their business to conserve resources. And there's many things inside uh, Google Maps will give you alternative directions so that, you know, you're more climate friendly, um, as well as in the cloud, where you can do several different things like pick a region that, you know, is more sustainable than others. Yeah, those, those are kind of the key elements, really, of thinking about sustainability is it's like, you know, can you be sustainable through the use of public cloud services? You know, what is the purpose of the product or tool that you're building and can you make a difference? And, you know, you do see from Google more so maybe than Amazon, let's say, you know, Google searches, like you said, looking at different travel options. I think on um, maps, for example, this year for me, I, as I used to drive an electric car, it would give me better routes for more efficiency in an electric car. Like all of these things add up when you're looking at millions and hundreds And it of also millions. gives you the opportunity to choose a bicycle over, you know, over a car or something like that. So it gives you different choices and it's in your face. So you can, you can mentally make that choice without, you know, trying too hard. It's just right there. Oh yeah, let me choose this. It's more sustainable. It makes it easier to make the choice. Great example, because like you said as well, Google do that when you're choosing like how to use the cloud. So you've got the two other elements, you know, through the use of cloud for being more sustainable, how we choose the, to use the cloud, and then kind of sustainability of the cloud itself, which is the responsible of the cloud providers. Google have always been a bit more ahead than others, especially like you said, that green leaf icon to say, this is a better thing to use. This is a better region to select. Is that something that, you know, you obviously must share this with your, your customers. Do, do they use this themselves? Are they are they kind of looking at this in a way that, okay, we're making every choice through the lens of sustainability when they're on Google or kind of how does that look? Well, a lot of the sustainability initiatives when it comes to cloud often overlaps with other positives like cost optimization and just in time and things like that. So it's it's not necessarily that every choice they're making is sustainability is the driver. That's just, it's an added benefit. So even if you're someone that doesn't care about these initiatives as much, you're still able to add some good there. And a lot of the Google products incorporate that climate pledge, you know, sharing of documents instead of everybody sharing their own, like you're using workspaces. You know, when you collaborate through a calendar, when you do all these things, there's only one copy of that data and you can just share it to many people instead of everybody having their own little storage and, and where their documents are. Um, so that that's the easier part when you talk about things like workspaces. And then when you want to talk about the other tools that customers use, like, you know, going serverless, things like that, using services only when needed, microservices. So they do make it easier. And I'll agree with Kate that the average company probably won't go, you know, 100% everything because it's, you know, it takes time to retool everything. It takes time to make sure that everything will work correctly. But we do see customers trying to make a difference because it is top of line. You look at news. You just go outside and look at the weather, 81 day, 45 the next. So it's a reality. And, and I think that uh, people are definitely thinking twice. Yeah. So sort of to piggyback on what Michael was saying, while it might not be the main driver that customers are making these decisions, Google's making it so much easier for them. So they just have a fleeting thought. They don't have to put so much effort into making these choices because Google's doing all that heavy lifting for them. They just have to look and say, oh, yeah, I, I care about their click, you know? So that's what Google's doing for this. Anyways. I mean, no, I think that's a really great point because I feel like it, from other cloud providers, what they're saying really is like, okay, we have a shared responsibility model. You're the one who's supposed to do all this. You're supposed to be efficient when you use the cloud. You choose the right things and and we'll figure out the data centers and the water and we'll build things and, and that's it really. And in some ways, you know, I look at that when when the sustainability pillar first came out, I looked at it and went, yeah, this is good. I'm glad it exists and, and I'm still glad it exists. But in some ways, I've kind of started to think about that. Okay, how much of this is about absolving their responsibility? Like, you know, when you look at choosing services on the cloud inside the console, especially AWS, let's talk about that as an example. If I create an S3 bucket, is that going to be standard or is that going to be intelligent tiering? It's going to be standard. Like, you know, there's certain things where it's like, why do you have to be able to make a mistake? You should just be able to go, okay, I don't have to know every single sustainable element about every AWS service. I just want to be able to be a little bit better. I think that's one thing I'd love to see more from 
kind of AWS. I, I think the, the, the big difference to me, though, and I don't see that product management or ownership across the groups of services, especially when it comes to sustainability elements. I see, you know, the, the progress of creating CCF, the Cloud Carbon Footprint Tool. I see progress in marketing PDFs and and kind of, you know, stuff that goes out through LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely gaps. Reporting is, is one of them. Like, you know, I, I was looking at the um, 2020 uh, declaration from Amazon as a whole, and their page of data just includes like kind of, you know, 12 lines of, of CO2 data and hardly anything else. It, it doesn't split out market versus location scope to emissions. It It's quite limited compared to some of the other comparison, the other cloud providers. Yeah. And one thing just to, to hit on that as well is that Although it might not be, you know, super obvious, whichever cloud provider you want to speak to, it's it's getting people in Kate's position and my position to inform the customer that, hey, you have these choices. You know, you can choose a different tier. You can choose this type of service. So it's not only just on the platform, it's also on people in roles such as Kate and myself to inform the public to do these meetups, to do these, you know, podcasts so that people understand you have choices. Um, and you can slowly make that change to where you're helping the environment instead of hurting it, perhaps. You know, you're right in some ways. You know, we've, we've all came here. We're all on this podcast because we've taken it upon ourselves to talk about this a little bit more and get the message out there. I wanted to ask this earlier, but why are you so passionate about kind of fighting climate change? What is it that is driving you, whether it's personally, professionally, you know, tell your story a little bit more. Kate, go ahead and tell your story first. Oh, dear. Ah. Uh... So the reason why sustainability matters to me is because, first of all, I have children. I'm bringing them into this world, and I want to make it a really good place for them. And I have three dogs. I have a cat. I had a hedgehog at one point. I love my animals. I love my humans. And as part of that, I don't want to destroy it. Anyways, that's the main driver. When I'm not working, I'm hiking. I love doing the trails in North Georgia and North Carolina. And when I see the human impact on this nature and trails that I love and spend almost every weekend in, I'm seeing the damage that we're making. And then when you read about all the things happening, you can't help but be afraid for the future. And when you're in technology, you're part of the harm and how do you reconcile that? And when I found out that I can make it better in my technical career and my passion for the outdoors and my family, I got excited and I joined the sustainability team at AWS and I brought the two together. So that's the kickoff. Did you always know kind of you had that impact working in tech? Like, is it something you'd realized before you started working in, in data analysis or is it something you kind of came to realize? I love reading and learning as much as I can about, I'm not that picky. I just love learning in general. And so throughout my studies, starting in university is sort of when it kind of started hitting home. So no, I didn't always realize that. My driver for joining tech was a career to take care of my family. And I like making beautiful things that also work, hence the web design course that I started with. Mm, brilliant. Go on, Michael. What about your story? Well, mine's a little... Mine's a lot personal. I used to live in a state that was very expensive to get electricity. So this was probably back in 2012. And, you know, I saw a commercial about solar. So, you know, granted, that's not, you know, the sustainability we're exactly talking about here. But um, yeah, so I covered my house in solar panels, got a solar array, purchased a ginormous battery system so that I could harness all that power. Um, and then I saw how much I could just power my house without having this electrical bill that was ginormous. Um, and then I started thinking about it as well, that well, I'm creating my own electricity, so um, it's, it's better for the environment. I haven't touched anything. The sun is giving me what I need. Um, and then I said, that was like 2012. Um, and then I started working in data centers. So the, anybody who's been in a data center, it is just a massive electrical thing, right? So everything is either super cold or super hot there's buttons and and lights and i can only imagine what the actual cost to run a data center is and then i went to aws i started doing cloud computing just the same as kate i also have children um worry about the future but then i started getting in contact with kate and she was on the sustainability team and i started learning more about it seeing how you know i can make a difference that way so it was personal in the very beginning where you know i really wanted to be able to kind of live off the grid 
not the granola like Kate was mentioning earlier, just <laughs> where I'm self-sufficient, where I can run my lights when I want to and do what I want when I want to do it. Um, so that's pretty much how I got into um, sustainability. And it just bled right through into our career. We started doing um, all these kind of informational sessions on how you can save money and how you can save the planet. Thank you so much for sharing both of your stories and, and, and you know, especially the personal elements. And for me, you know, I relate in similar ways, but from the opposite spectrum. You know, I made a decision a long time ago not to have children because I didn't want to bring anyone into the world. It was sort of like at the point in time, it's like, is it actually going to be better? Is it going to be worse? And, you know, there's loads of different ways that, that for me as an individual, you know, I, I look at this, but sustainability and, and climate change is definitely one of them. And, you know, it was more and more this year, you know, we're seeing the impact that the, the, the weather, like you mentioned, you know, we had the massive heat waves in Seattle. Like, think how many Amazon employees are sat in Seattle right now or over the last few months going, what is going on? Like, you know, and have- they don't have a lot of air conditioning there just to let you know. So it's super hot. Oh, yeah. I, I think this is the sort of thing this year in some ways feels like this turn because while we mentioned earlier that individual companies are starting to care about this, you know, that's coming from regulations, that's coming from reporting and ESG requirements. I feel like a lot more individuals and employees, we're all employees of these organizations are starting to go, oh, wow, no, this is something we need to start doing more on. And yeah, I hope that we can all kind of do it together. And, and to be honest, you know, when I speak to a lot of younger people and I say, like, you know, if you want to start working in tech, one of the things I'm trying to say at the moment is start with sustainability, start with being efficient, think about how you're going to use the cloud and learn how to use the cloud, learn it in this way. Because if we think about where we are now, let's say FinOps, for example, we've just started getting FinOps practitioners and it's become a much bigger thing and people start caring about it. It didn't exist five, six years ago, really in the same form. In five and six years time, we'll have green ops practitioners or sustainability architects. And I think it's going to make you a lot better as an individual, not only so you can sleep at night, but more hireable. Like, you know, if I have a choice between a developer who can do the same thing and save me money and do it more efficiently, then yeah, I think I'm going to make that choice in hiring in the future. So I'm glad that, yeah, more of us are starting to yeah care about this, I guess. So thank you. One thing just touching on kind of coming into the cloud Obviously, your journey is probably a little bit different, but you know, when you speak to people coming in and, and training courses that you recommend them to, to sort of look at, or you know, when they go learn it, like you've probably come across like cloud practitioner and all the different courses. Like, do you think that focuses enough on sustainability and FinOps? Because I, I looked at the you know the practitioner; it does touch on cost, but it's very different in the sense of understanding that real impact. You know, is there something missing there about you know how the cloud and, and teaching people at that entry level of how it really impacts the world? Are we speaking the certification and foundational training level? Because that it doesn't touch on. Just throwing that out there. It's more of an advanced topic <laughs> for class. You say it's advanced, but it, I guess some of the elements are, you know, looking at what, what we all do or, or the advice that we give, it could be more advanced. But I think there's almost like this disconnect. I, I almost look at this as like, okay, is there an incentive? to do this like you know do cloud providers who run these certifications and, and all the course are they incentivized to say to people oh you know use the cloud less you know think about this more rather than, than ah, not okay that's what you're getting at it's like where where are you going and, with this <laughs> and maybe it's not that they use the cloud less right cloud resources actually save a lot of money compared to a data center i have to I have to just say that um it's using it more in a sustainable fashion right how can we architect it better how can we use microservices? What's the impact going to be um, later on? So I don't think that it's, I think the cloud saves money, if, if you ask me. For, for migrating stuff, if something already exists and it's in a data center and you run it yourself and you move it to cloud, you know, there's an argument there to say this will be better. This will be run at a lower PUE and, and everything else. But yeah, I do, I do wonder about new services. We look at machine learning. I've got a talk coming up next month about Dolly. Dolly didn't exist. A couple of years ago that's something that probably never would have existed in a data center because how do you really kind of scale it up and, and get the funding but now we can access gpus anywhere we want in the world and, and run this stuff and you know i find that is an interesting topic is the cloud wants to grow because they want to make more money they want to you know revolutionize the world but you know where is it and how are we making those choices bitcoin is another great example and, and ethereum i think 48 percent of, of ethereum is hosted through amazon like and, and, and a good percentage through the rest is through other cloud providers and that didn't used to exist 
it's it's kind of a bit of a scary thought sometimes. It's like, are we going in the right direction? Well, it's kind of true as well. You brought up Bitcoin, and that's like a rabbit hole we could spend a whole episode on. But mm. definitely, most customers I talk to and use cases that are looking into blockchain, for example, it's most likely overkill. And I've I've yet to find a real use case when speaking with customers. Anyway, so we're not asking people to go back to the you know stone ages you know with the the clubs and the cave drawings you know it's just finding something that people are okay with that still fits the use cases and the need of their business and their customers that still bring money to their families because at the end of the day we're all taking care of whether ourselves or our families and we still need to be able to do those things that we're doing but can we maybe reduce our SLAs a little bit? Can we maybe not get stuff so immediately? Can our backup maybe be 30 minutes, not half a second? You know, just different choices like that we can make. And that's more what this conversation is about. Yeah. So, I mean, let's touch on a few of those things then, because they're the sort of things when, you know, we've looked at the cloud initially and we've said, I want it to be the most secure. I want it to be the most reliable. I want to be you know, all everything and, and the best of, of whatever we can deliver. But why? You know, I guess we are starting to see, yeah, why? Yeah, why Why is such a great point? Like, how have you had, so, the, how are those conversations, when you say to somebody, you know, why do you want that? What, why, what's that requirement for? Like, what do people, do people, how do they respond? Well, you just touched on exactly what Michael and my job is. Our job is to ask our customers why, and then work backwards from that to what will solution for them. and that will get to what are the need to haves versus the want to haves and then having that balanced conversation and you're not only balancing sustainability you're balancing cost and time and usage and all these different factors michael do you want to add anything else um that's true i mean everything she said is true and just you know as as a reference point as well when i talk to new customers that are um, you know deciding whether or not to come to the cloud what I tried to explain to them is that if you come to the cloud, you have very large platforms that do invest tremendous amounts of money in offsetting their cost and to be greener. So they're always going to be greener in the cloud and get all the tools, of course, we mentioned earlier. Um, so that's what I that's the conversations I typically have with them in the very beginning. And then once you know people decide they want to go to the cloud or whatever, then we talk about saving them. The, saving the planet with microservices and things like that. But again, to meet their need, you have to meet their use case. And there's ways to do it. Talk to microservices and, and, and stuff like serverless. I mean, effectively functions as a service rather than infrastructure as a service or Correct. platforms as a service as we've used them previously. You know, are you finding that people can kind of engage with that and say, yes, actually, I can use serverless for all of my use cases? Like, what are the barriers when it comes to deciding to, to move fully serverless, I guess? Well, my, uh, my take on that is you're not going to probably be able to use everything as you know, code on demand or whatever. Um, but you try to con you know, containerize and make serverless as much as you can because it just uses less resources. Kate, have you seen any differences in the architecture you've been designing? Not with serverless specifically in those choices. Like with every conversation, it depends. I know everyone says that when you talk to people in IT, but come on, like you've been in this industry long. Have you got enough. any great examples? <laughs> any any recent customer examples where you can say, you know, we we moved from originally thinking about Kubernetes to something well, else? Well, I, I can do. Here's the example that I give to paint a picture when I'm talking to customers first about sustainability. An example. Let's say you have your traditional you know, web website that's hosting your retail organization and then Black Friday hits, you kind of have to have all of that there ready for those Black Friday moments. Whereas if you break that down into a just what you need, you can scale up during that Black Friday and Christmas holiday and then scale back down during your work hours when hopefully no one's Other shopping. 11 months of the year. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's just concepts like that. It's very, very use case specific. And it's also... If it's an application that doesn't get a lot of use, is it going to be worth it to re-architect a very tiny legacy application and re-architect it and modernize it to be a little more efficient when the work to get it there is going to take so much more energy than just leaving it how it is for that once a quarter use case, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, because we're balancing a lot of decisions when it comes to business. Like, you know, not do we have the capacity to do this work? Is it going to cost us loads of money? Like, you know, what will it result in? And I think in some ways, you know, the biggest thing I see when it comes to serverless is probably the skill gap. You know, a lot of people aren't really experts, especially when you are junior and you're coming into this. Like, you know, people are coming out as experts in how to use serverless. Like, you look at Kubernetes, for example, which is obviously going to be a big part of how people use Google, where a lot of that came from. You know, that in itself, that skill base pushes kubernetes rather than than serverless and you know i think that, that's an interesting thing is like a company you have to weigh you know how much does this cost me do i have the staff to do it how long will it take and, Skill and I think, sets. yeah i hope we could just add sustainability as, as one of those things you know the reason why it's been added to the aws uh, well-architected framework and microsoft uh, for azure have added it to theirs now is for you to consider it as a requirement and i think that's you know until very recently I never considered sustainability as a requirement when I was working at the home office. You know, we, like I said earlier, we, we spent 33 million pounds on the cloud. I looked at FinOps and, and reducing costs that way, but sustainability wasn't ever the number one element of, of how we're using the cloud. And I hope, hope that more people kind of look at it from that point, or at least as part of the decisions that you're making. And I think that it's happening a lot in different sectors when people are going out to get, uh, maybe grants to start something or um, they want investors to come in that investors are asking that question now is it going to be sustainable what kind of impact are you going to have it's a whole deal when you're starting to you know put in your business plan so i think that it's getting a lot more attention which it should i mean as we mentioned in the very beginning you know an 80 degree day and a 40 degree day you know it's we have to start thinking about the future something just to tie on to michael's is the leaders are starting to put it in those business plans. They're starting to track those KPIs. And then it's trickling down to us engineers and architects. And we suddenly have to show that we're making impact and improvement. We don't know where to start. And let's say our organization isn't using Google. So it's not easy for us. And that's where that scope three, that indirect impact that we have no control over as far as Google's concerned, that's where we can come in. And that's where architects can help you make those little choices like minimizing data movement, compression, et cetera. You make a great point. Like scope-free emissions is, is basically what we all have to care about now as, as, as developers and, and consumers of the cloud. Because instead of owning the data centers and putting our own energy in, we're now relying on it all from the cloud provider. And I think that's the gap, isn't it? Like we've talked about this earlier. If you use Google, you've probably got some great information there. I think they've got their carbon methodology published for their tools. You can really dig into some line level information as well. Whereas other cloud providers and especially AWS, which I would say is the worst attempt at this, you know, all you can see is for your high level accounts, the overall carbon. And even then it's um, it's offset by their, their power purchase agreements, which which isn't, in my view, accurate because... They're still releasing energy from those energy grids. You know, they're releasing emissions from those energy grids. If I consume services in London, and that's what the carbon intensity of that grid is, that still exists. You can't just offset it completely. And I, and I think it frustrates me in, in some ways is that, you know, I want to be able to use these tools better to make my job, to, well, make the world a better place, but track that progress. And I think that's, that's a massive gap. And I've tried to do this, for example, let's touch on conference talks. At my last conference talk, it was in person uh, in Manchester, which is not too far from me, but I, I did drive there, I believe. Um, and one of the things that I'm finding hard in some ways is trying not to be too hypocritical when it comes to talking about sustainability. I'll be at reInvent this year, which is in Las Vegas. I'll be flying halfway around the world to talk about being more sustainable in the cloud, um, which is going to have an impact. That's, that's going to be several tons of CO2 just to get me to that venue. And what I did at my last talk, and I'm going to be using it again at reInvent, is I've got a tool where people who listen to my talk can submit their travel information, and it adds up what's the actual emissions for everyone who's attended today. And what I did is show that back to everyone at the end and say, you know, you've all come to hear me have a talk about how we can be better, but that cost us this many kilograms of, of CO2. You need to go back to your workplaces and at least reduce it by that, or this has been a complete waste of time like so aaron let me ask you this question <laughs> did you use google to choose your flight because when you go through google it shows you um what the most carbon free or not carbon free but the the least uh impact it has on the environment did you use that i did not i don't I, I, to be honest i think i think that's probably really useful in america where you've got a lot of domestic flights mm, yeah. but there's only one route i believe 
between the UK and Las Vegas that's direct, which is London to Vegas. So I picked whatever gets me to Vegas on the whatever the Saturday before reinvent. <laughs> well, at least the people um, listening know that they can go through Google in the states if they were here to, to find out, you know, those friendlier flights. Yeah, but direct's always going to be, yeah, a little, yeah. So good job, good job. I am curious. Like, I think the last co- the conference took because it was local. It was in the UK. Most people did either drive or use the train. No flights. I think it was about. 40 kilograms of co2 which is not a lot but yeah i'll be interested to see how many tons it is at reinvent um because i'm expecting a bigger audience and many more people to fly in um so you know for you and doing conference talks and and talking about this how have you found that what what is it that you touch on when you get people to care about this and and inspire them well honestly we haven't really had a problem getting people to care about it at some level everyone cares about it at some level. It's just they don't know how to get started. So our angle is just teaching people how to get started no matter what cloud they're on. Because I know it's fun to talk about who's better, who's worse. But at the end of the day, we want you to be successful no matter what cloud you're on and what tools you have available to you. And the first thing you need to do is track your data. You need to know what you have or you can't analyze how to improve. And so with my experience with data analytics, it's really fun for me to just get them visible, get them to know what they have, and then start making those small little changes. Starting if you're in AWS, you can use the cost and usage report to get you started. If you're in Google, you can do an automatic export from your billing account to BigQuery, and it's all set up and it's a free download in there. And you're looking at that from a lens of cost as part of, you know, basically one of the things they talk about in a lot of the frameworks is a proxy metric. At the moment, it's probably very difficult to get your CO2 for every service that you use, but you can use other metrics. So cost is a good one. Uh, and then you've got kind of CPU hours for your compute, your gigabytes stored for storage, and then network traffic gigabyte a second as well. So are those the sort of metrics you're saying to people, stop, stop capturing this, get your baseline? Yes, that that definitely is where you can start. but not only that, but tracking what your goals are and making that very specific. Because if you don't know what you're trying to get to, you're just like, okay, here's what I'm doing. I want to make it less. Well, what if just making things go down isn't part of your use case? You're a business that's trying to grow. How do you reconcile that number with making your percentage increase perhaps go? So re-architecting and just having that very complex conversation, but then making it easy for them if that makes it. Mm. And to go back when, when you were talking with Kate about, you know, when we talk to people, um, actually just sparking their interest, you'd be amazed at how many people, when you ask them, how much carbon do you think we admit? They have no idea how bad things are. They don't know what they can do. They don't, mm. they just don't know. So watching, you know, the spark hit, hit their little head or, you know, oh, I can save money this way. Uh, that's really how we open it up whenever we start talking about sustainability, more of, do you know your impact? And let me show you some ways that you can reduce that impact. It is interesting because one of the things that I've been thinking more about is like, you know, as an individual, I fly a lot. I, I do a lot of work. I'm going to have an outsized impact uh, on, on climate. I do try and track it and offset it. Um, but, you know, it, it's sort of like, almost like, do I have the right to do this? Like, from my position of privilege being someone who lives in the West, who's, who's, who makes a good amount of money, do I have the right to do these things? And for the conference talks especially, I do think, you know, okay, I'm doing this now, but it's got a purpose. It is trying to make the world a better place. I'm trying to get more developers. If I can just get, you know, X number of other developers to make a change, then it will kind of balance out. But one of the interesting things, for example, is, is, is citizens, different people around the world. In the US, you emit about 14.5 tonnes of CO2 a year from, from consumption. So that's driving and using your fuel, eating your food, like accessing things and, and just living your life. Uh, in the UK, it's less. It's, it's about seven. So a little bit better off that way. But I have a few more international flights probably uh, on there. So it, for me, I don't think it, it is seven. I think it is closer to, to 15, 16. But one of the interesting pieces of data, and, and, and this is something that I had to kind of calculate myself and, and, and hopefully it is correct, but Google provide this in their emissions. Um, it's their carbon intensity per employee. So every employee who works at Google, whether it's on GCP or whatever else, in 2021 emitted 12.87 tons of CO2 as part of working at Google. The equivalent um, figure for Amazon is 54 uh, tons of CO2, which is a lot really. When you think about 
as an individual, you consume only 14, but as an employee, you contribute to potentially 55 tons of CO2. It's quite an interesting fact, really. I just... That's a big yeah. gap. Yeah. Ouch. It is. Yeah. I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that maybe uh, Google does more work from home than other cloud providers. You know, uh, just depends, I guess, on which cloud you're on. Like Kate and I, we're... I feel that I'm I'm super blessed that I can work a majority of my time from home. I can do meetings from home. I can I don't have to get in my car. I don't have to drive all those miles. I I typically don't fly around a whole bunch. Um, so I wonder if that has something to do with it. If if uh, Google's more relaxed on their work from home, work at your own environment. I think that can be part of it. I think definitely, and I think that's one of the great examples of you know purpose. If we're going to help and build tools to help people do work remotely and connect and collaborate around the world and run virtual conferences then you know we're gonna make a change and reduce our car emissions and, and everything else i think the biggest part though is the fact that amazon and aws exist as a single entity uh wrapped up in that figure even if you work on amazon aws services or you're an architect in aws you're kind of contributing to the rest of amazon's, amazon's operation um and and that is prime day deliveries that's kind of all of these kind of services that we access elsewhere through amazon and I do think in some ways, like, you know, is that justifiable? Like, should Prime exist? Like, does free delivery next day anywhere in the US kind of, it's the same way you talked about reliability, that 99%, is that is that actually acceptable? Like, should we make decisions as, as, as organizations or as employees saying, let's make a change to say, you know, actually, maybe we could reduce that there. I, I do know, you know, in some ways, you know, you can't look at all of this in isolation. And, and as a content creator, I say these things to be provocative and get people thinking, but... Yeah, Amazon, for example, are investing in Rivian and, and, and electric vehicles for that last mile delivery. The, you know, this will be a big change and, and hopefully reduce those emissions. But it, it's, a, it's a big number. I think in 2019, for example, it was 94 tons of CO2 per employee because the number of employees at Amazon have, have doubled over the last few years. So basically, while emissions have gone up from the organization, um, the number of employees have doubled as well. So yeah, if you worked in Amazon in 2019, you contributed 94 tons of CO2. Well, yep, that which was I think us. you both did. There you, go. Here you are. I'm going to blame you now because <laughs> you're too. on the podcast <laughs> and in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. That's, mm. that's quite a number. Um, well, as everyone's aware, you have the choice to use your voice with the dollars that you put and what you buy. And just like Google is putting sustainability into the products that they're building. Amazon also has a sect of products in their sustainability group. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but hopefully more and more users are going to be purchasing through that brand. And then that voice will drive Amazon to make more and more sustainability choices available to us. But for now, like most businesses, they're going to let the money speak and they're going to follow that. And and it's it's just really, really hard to fault businesses that just like us are needing to survive and grow. And that is the balance that you're trying to get people to care is to maybe grow a little slower because the earth matters. And I, I think it needs to start at leadership. Yeah. You make a great point. Grow slower because it matters. And and like Michael, you said, you, you as an individual are able to put solar on top of your house and make yourself fully renewable energy before, well, not before you bought the house, but, you know, as soon as you were able to, you did that. I know other cloud providers are looking to do the same in terms of, you know, offsetting energy production, but it's, it's one of those things where I, I think, you know, you shouldn't really be building data centers unless they are sustainable from day one. I, I don't, Oracle Cloud are my, are my main issue here in some ways because they're the ones coming to join this sector. They've got some sustainability marketing content. They're saying we're trying to do this stuff, but they don't have any data. They don't publish any data. You can't see any of the commitments on, on what it is. And it's like, you know, if I was a customer, I don't think I'd want to use Oracle Cloud if they're not going to play by the same rules as everyone else. I mean, even you could say the same about Amazon. Google and, and, and Azure putting a lot of effort into showing and putting money where their mouth is. And I think Amazon needs to catch up as well. Yeah, I think that'd be part of the, the pre-build out. I think you bring a good point up, you know, that before we, you know, before this is built out, what are we doing to make this totally sustainable? I think we'll get the, I mean, at the end of the day, I think, you know, Amazon has a big part to play and, and these cloud providers have a big part to play to, to make digital more sustainable because they're at the forefront of, of using these services and they're going to be the ones putting the money to research it. Because at some point, I think we're all going to kind of come to this realization that, it, you know, maybe what we're doing today is not acceptable. We'll get back to our interview soon, but I really want to highlight that it's not all doom and gloom in the world. 
So now is the part of the show where we shine a spotlight on companies, charities and organisations that are contributing to making the world a better place. Supporting ethical businesses and charities that are doing good in the world is the easy way for all of us to also contribute when we're able to. This week's company is LifeStraw. LifeStraw are a climate neutral certified B Corp that sell water filtration devices. As you can imagine, the original product, the LifeStraw, is a handheld device where you can literally drink water through a straw in order to filter it and make it safe. Not only is it a great product for all those who go on loads of long walks or, or, or traveling around the world, but each product that you buy will also give a child access to fresh water for one year. They have loads of other great give back programs, which you can find all the information on their website at lifestraw.com. Coming back to two points that you said earlier, um, Kate, on, you know, as a customer, you can, you know, vote with your dollars. Like, how else could you kind of work with cloud providers as a customer to make your voice known? How can you kind of say to Amazon or Google or whoever, you know, help me be more sustainable? How could people go about doing that? Yeah, well, like most organizations, their customer feedback as well as dollars are what drives decisions. And so make sure you're giving your feedback to your cloud providers. I know at least on the Amazon side, we had this thing called product feature requests. And we would actually tally those numbers and use those percentages to drive decisions on what we do first. So yeah, these numbers work. Use your voice. We're listening. They're listening. Have you got any example feature requests people should be, you know, putting out there? Yes. Ask for more transparency. Transparency is key because if they're not releasing those numbers, those PUEs, et cetera, then we can't choose what's more sustainable. We can't choose what's better. We have to be getting super creative and complex on our own, like back what we were talking about before and doing those crazy calculations and the it depends. We don't know where to start. Make it easy for us. And the more we're asking for it, the more they can't turn a blind eye. They have to make change. Even if it's lifting the covers to some bad practices, we want that because we want you to change. Michael, have you got any suggestions? How can we work with better with our cloud providers or any feature requests um, or anything like You know, that? exactly what Kate said. I totally agree. And more people that say they need X eventually someone will get that memo that, hey, you know, or what if, if if they're choosing other things, right? If they're choosing, well, if I can't get this widget on this platform, I'll just go to another platform that maybe has that widget. So I think that that, that, that competition will actually spur good innovations, right? And that's what we want, good innovations. So yeah, I think that it's, it, it's a time. It's a time. It's going to take time to do all this. You know, no one cared about anything we're saying 20 years ago, 25 mm. years ago. Nobody. Yeah. Right. If you said, hey, I'll put solar panels on my house, you're like, what do you mean? What are yeah, you talking well, about? Maybe 30, because I'm getting older. So maybe 30 years ago. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, you kind of catch what I'm saying. Right. So we have to catch up with the times. We have to make good decisions. Um, and if it's, you know, going with one option over another, whatever's best for you, um, mm. your company, and the earth is going to, it's going to win, you know, what you, what you feel is best. And I think in some ways, maybe we think, oh, well, they know it's an issue or like, oh, you know, even if I say and add to this pile of feature requests, it's never going to, and, and I'd say, you know, all of us need to just do it as an individual, as, as an organization, just go out there and, and say, this is what I want. And actually make sure that your account manager, whether you have to submit that as a ticket through your support console, whether you are in an organization large enough to have a dedicated person you can call up. Um, it's, it's one of the things I... I'm thinking about how do I get the rest of the government, because I, I worked in the UK government, how can I get everyone else in the UK government to start kind of pushing back and, and asking for these features? And then it's definitely something I'm working on at the moment. Y'all are making a lot more headway than us in the US, at least in government with this. So, Well, in some ways it's a smaller community. Like I'm, I'm very privileged in the, in the sense that, you know, as in my role, I was the head of cloud for the home office. We were the biggest consumer of, of cloud services and Amazon was the biggest consumer there. So, you know, I was part of uh, negotiating this memorandum of understanding with between the UK government and, and AWS. And I think that's one of the things where, you know, you might think, oh, your organization doesn't have a lot of power or maybe I just work for, but I think in aggregate, I think we all do have a bit more power. And I think in some ways I was thinking about this in tech recently as like, Nowhere else do we really have the ability to seize the means of production in some ways because 
whether we're individual developers building products and services or we're people who work on open source, all of the tech industry is built on the backs of individuals, especially open source. Like you saw a few protests a couple of last year around kind of how open source tools were restricted from Russian use. And there was a few things around kind of like, you know, give me money because I can't keep up with, you know, maintaining this. Um, I think there was a JavaScript color module, wasn't there, that basically broke off the internet. Like a single mod, like part of a, of a JavaScript open source tool, like broke off the internet. I, and I do wonder, like, scary. Where's the next step for for that? Like as individuals, if we realize kind of you know the kind of size of the impact we could have, the the size of our voice, you know, what what how could we put that for good and and put it to use? Uh, and Aaron, I think you're doing that with your platform right now. That you're making your voice heard, right? About we need to be more sustainable. We need to get better things in place. So that's how you can do it. It, it is funny. Yeah, it, it is funny because I applied for a role at Amazon earlier this year. So I was, I applied for a, yeah, I, I, got, I, got the, I got to the loop. I did my five-hour interview for a commercial architect role on the, um, what's they call it, optics team. So we're doing based in San Francisco, helping some of the world's biggest customers reduce their carbon impact, or at least their financial impact, commercial architect. But, you know, in the interview, I did say, like, you know, I really care about sustainability. It's what I've been focused on. I want to come and help Amazon do it from the inside. Uh, unfortunately, they said no. So I've now decided to, to make this a bit of David versus a Goliath situation and, and do the same, but from the outside. Like, if you won't let me speak to your customers internally and get them to do this, I'm going to be on the outside getting everyone else to care about it. So it's a, a fun challenge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, I like that. That's just like, wait we were talking about before was if the cloud providers aren't going to make it easy for us, we're going to do it ourselves. Mm. And we're not going to make it easy for them. Oh, and cut. No. <laughs> I'm not going to make it easy for them. I mean, I mean, it just comes to that visibility. Like, you know, you, you can't just string us along with shitty half-baked services. You can't give us a marketing PDF rather than the real data and the information. I think that's, that's where I get frustrated with a lot of this, but it is what it is. I, I understand it. It's a big picture. It's, it, there's a lot of moving parts. And, and I don't think there's any one individual at Amazon who really could kind of give you the full picture. But we all, as individuals, have a part to play inside, outside, everywhere else. So thank you both for coming on and kind of helping me get that message out there and, and learning more about kind of the differences with Google and, you know, what we should be thinking about when we come to architecting our services. But the final two things then is what charity have you chosen uh, to donate to uh, as a thank you for coming on the podcast? I'm passing this off to Michael. Michael picked it. I did pick it. We're going to be giving to St. Jude's because we care about children and cancer, both Kate and I. Yeah, cancer affects most people in everyone's lives. It's very personal for both Michael and myself for different reasons. And so much worse with kids. And so there's yes. another place we'd rather um, put the money towards. And that's so cool that you're, yeah, putting money towards that. Definitely. Yeah. St. Jude's, you know, all of these things, it's, yeah, let's just try. And I, I think for me, you know, I kind of, the reason why I do it as part of the podcast is I just feel guilty with like how much money I make in tech. Like, you know, I've, it's kind of ridiculous where I've got to. I'm, I'm 27, I think. And I earn a lot of money and, and I thought to myself, you know, if I'm going to do anything, if I'm going to sort of give back, I want to do that and I want to thank other people and, and give it to, to where it matters. So thank you so much for choosing that. We'll do it. £500 to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. The final question is, what is the one tip for people who listen to this podcast that should be tech workers, senior leaders in tech, anyone else who's, who's kind of ended up here randomly? Thank you for joining. Um, but what's one tip for them to live work or code more sustainably oh man so the tip is think twice about whatever you're doing and have that impact in your head and that goes with any subject you just said if i could pick any of them so before you do that next x what is that going to affect now and in the future that would be my one tip think twice my tip is super broad but it's always my tip that i give because it's my favorite when I joined at Amazon back in the day, they have this thing called working backwards, and I'm obsessed with this concept. It fits into almost everything. Envision your goal, what you're trying to get to, and the why, and then work backwards from there. Whether it has to do with your sustainability initiatives, or your work, or your life, do it. I mean, they're both great tips, and they both basically come down to the same thing. What's the purpose 
for, for, for what you're doing. Like, either that's you as an individual, what's your purpose in tech? What is it you're working on? Are you making the world a better place? Whether that's, you know, the, the things you're building. Like, I think that's coming back to Bitcoin. You know, oh, is, is building a Bitcoin, like, money accumulating bull****, like, thing with no use case really going to make the world a better place? Or is working on something else going to be better? And I think, I think a lot of people probably do ruminate through this in their head in, in some ways. You do kind of see, like, the memes is like, you know, I'd, I'd much rather you know, quit my job and go start a farm. I, I think we regret, like, teaching sand how to think with electricity. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird sometimes when you work in tech because I think for most people who are outside of tech, you never sit down to kind of think about everything. But when you kind of get to see the nitty-gritty and what goes on under the hood, it, it can be a bit scary. I think data analysis and, and machine learning for me are, are some of those areas because... We all want data. We, everyone's saying data is the next big oil. Like, you know, it's going to make us loads of money. It's, it's the backbone of this future digital economy. But I think a good majority of, of data never gets used again. No quality data. It sits around data. somewhere. Yep. Yes. It sits around. It's not used. And it just burns cycles. It's just sitting there. Because nobody wants to throw anything away, Aaron. Oh, mm. I'm going to hold on to this document I created when I was in, you know, 10th grade. <laughs> Let me just hold on to that. You know, so um, I agree. It, it is definitely a bit of a problem in some ways because it's always like, oh, I could make money from my past data. And it, yeah, it, it does exist in, in that sense. So yeah, if you're an individual data scientist out there, make sure you think twice. Make sure you, you, you try and link what you're doing back to a purpose that, that's hopefully making the world a better place. And yeah, hopefully we can all fight this together and, and make the world a better place. So thank you so much for both coming on and thank you all for listening. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Imbue, a cloud sustainability consultancy. There's one final thing from me. I would love it if you could do one thing this week to make the world a brighter place. And if you do want to share it with us, then please get in touch with us on social media or leave it alongside your review as a comment. <laughs>